0: Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time, some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode Death on the River. Death on the River. Accident or homicide? It seemed like the perfect romantic afternoon, a kayaking trip for two on the Hudson River. But it ended in tragedy when beautiful, blonde Angelica Graswald called 911 to report that her fiancé, the handsome and athletic Vincent Viafor, had fallen into the choppy, frigid waters. But when the bereft bride-to-be posted videos of herself doing cartwheels on social media shortly before Vincent's body was found, Suspicions of Angelica's role rose to the surface. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Murder Most Foul. Today, we're going to answer the question Whatever happened to Diane Fanning? (laughs) And to answer that question, is the aforementioned award winning crime writer Diane Fanning? Good morning, Diane.
1: Good morning. How are you today, Jane? But
0: we'll answer that question or where it even comes from a little bit later. Um, But Diane is uh, for any of you, and I hope you've all watched, listened to every one of my podcasts. Diane is a return um, visitor. Her uh, the last book we covered was called Bitter Remains, and that was very, uh, as a lot of these are very sad uh, case. Uh, uh, a a brutal case. This one um, that we're going to talk about today, which is called Death on the River, is each one of these books I seem to find are strange in their own little way. No two are alike. This is, um, those who don't know the case will go into the participants and the uh, activities and the background, um, and maybe even how uh, Diane came to this case. But um, this is another one where there aren't a lot of questions about details. In other words, uh, we have a body. Eventually, we have, a, we have someone dying. We have someone admitting they were there and so on and so forth. Um, so one of the intrigues that I found about this book was the detail. And it is fascinating. The legal arguments in a pretrial hearing, we'll get to that later, that had they gone one way or another, there wouldn't have even have been a trial if the evidence had been thrown out. And it's up to you uh, after you listen to us or and or, I hope, read the book to decide uh, whether there was any um, uh, uh, prosecution misconduct that would even rise to the level of throwing this out. And I won't tell you whether it was thrown out yet, if there was a trial or anything. So Diane, let's start at the beginning with the, um, and pardon me if I mispronounce the names, I'm just going to throw them out and then you'll correct me. We have Angelica Graswald or Grazewald, How does that go? Graswald. Graswald. And we have Vincent via four or via 4A. Via four. Via four. So those are the two two main characters, the antagonist and protagonist in our story. So uh, take us to the back to the beginning, sort of uh, these folks getting together. Uh, they weren't married, they were engaged. So take us back to that and set the the date and the uh, the locale. For this um, incident,
1: this story took place in Poughkeepsie, New York, and the uh, two main players are Vincent Fierro and Angelica Graswald. They uh, met at an event at a bar and hit it off pretty well right away. Uh, soon, Angelica was moving in with Vinny, and they seemed to have a very nice little romance going. It was, uh, Vinnie was a very nice, laid back, generous person. And he let her have her way with, in the household, he allowed her a lot of freedom At for a while she was working and then she wasn't. But the fact that bills were getting bigger And they were planning a wedding, which in Angelica's mind, the wedding involved two things. Going back to where she was born in Latvia and having the wedding on a body of water there. And then coming back here and celebrating the wedding with a boat ride on the Hudson River. These things cost a lot of money. And Vinnie knew that the only way they could make it would be if she was working. And Vinny was very sensitive to this because he'd already been bankrupt once. And a lot of his bankruptcy came from his just natural sense of wanting to help friends. Like if somebody needed something, he'd give them money. If they didn't have a car, he'd loan his car. If they were at a bar, he'd buy them drinks. Um, Vinny was a very giving guy and really got himself into a lot of financial trouble because of it. So this was making him very, very anxious. Then April came along, and the wedding, they were engaged, and the wedding was supposed to move forward that year. And Vinny gave her an ultimatum. He said, you've been sitting around this house for well more than a year. You need to go out and get a job. And if you don't, the wedding's off. He didn't want to take in that debt, and that's when everything went wrong for Vinny.
0: And so, um, (laughs) so you mentioned the water, and you mentioned Poughkeepsie, and we want to. We'll get to the setting, the beautiful setting of the Hudson River and uh, the uh, structure on the island and whatnot. So they were, um, I'm not sure how avid you can fill this in, but they were kayakers. So um, along the line, a—a a, which is not unusual, a kayak trip on the Hudson is planned.
1: Yes, uh, kayaking is, is very popular up around the Hudson Valley because there are a lot of waterways, including the incredible Hudson River. But the river is a tidal river, so that means it comes and goes, it changes directions. And that makes it a little more dangerous for kayaking. But for the most part, it's safe. But it's not particularly safe in early May if you're going there uh, without a wetsuit. That's like mandatory that time of year. They're far up north. And that river stays cold for quite a while. But when Vince and, um, and Angelica planned their kayaking trip, it, it, it was just too cold. The water was below 60 degrees and there's no way anybody can survive an extended time in that water. And yet between the two of them, there was only one life jacket. Angelica wore that. The only uh, flotation device that Vinny had was the seat that he was sitting in. And when they set out that day, everything was calm and beautiful. You look out at that river and you see it's ringed with mountains, beautiful mountains, lovely, lovely place to be. And then across the way is this little island. And on the island is a place that's locally called Bannerman Castle. And what it was is there was a man named Bannerman who had massive munition storage. And for a while, he had him in a warehouse in New York. But then he realized it was just accumulating. He had munitions and weapons from the Civil War. He, the First World War, the Second World War. I mean, he had accumulated... All this stuff, which frankly is is a bit on the dangerous side, and uh, he he moved it all out there to a big warehouse that looks like a castle and he built a home up there that's pretty magnificent and then there was a fire, and everything burned down and everything was left in ruins and the and the uh, property was taken over by uh the, the state and uh, some investors, and they really wanted to bring it back to life. And they made a lot of progress, particularly on the grounds. The grounds, uh, they had volunteers that came up there and work on them. One of those volunteers was Angelica Grasswald. And she went up there uh, in the warm weather uh, to work on the grounds, plant flowers, pull weeds, that sort of thing, and, and it was really a beautiful one of a kind place. It was, it was close to the side opposite the highway that you take from Poughkeepsie down to uh, the entrance where they pushed off the kayak. But they set off, and it was a just a beautiful sunny day, absolutely magnificent. They went out there. To the island for a while. They um, they just played on the island. Angelica had brought along some lingerie to do modeling for Vinny, and it, it was just kind of a romantic time. Then, when they set off to come back, they realized everything had changed. The skies got very forbidden and dark clouds hung over everywhere. The wind was whipping up. The waves were whipping up. It was a very unwelcoming sight. They tried to go back to the back of the island thinking maybe it might be easier to get to the other side and then worry about how to get back from there later. But they couldn't get up there because everything was so wild. So they set off going across. And at first, Vinny was so excited. The, uh, it was fun riding the waves and ramping up. And, you know, he, he was like a little boy all over again, having fun on the water. But then a wave capsized his kayak. And he went into the water. Angelica stayed in her kayak. But the strange thing was... That's all she did was stay in her kayak. Besides the fact that she pulled the paddle away from Vinny and the cold water was seeping through his pores and getting into his organs. And he started having trouble breathing and everything in his body, every muscle, every organ was tightening up, tightening up to the point of not being able to function. And Angelica. Did nothing. She waited a full half hour before calling 911. So then uh, the a boat comes out from a nearby uh, uh, marina and they brought a boat out and they got her and they searched and searched and searched for vinny No one could find him anywhere. They did find his kayak, which had washed ashore and, and also her kayak washed ashore, too, after she was rescued. But she uh, didn't seem very concerned. I, I, she was concerned a bit about herself because she did suffer a little hypothermia. But when she went to the hospital and the police came there, she got upset with them for wanting to look in her bag, for wanting to ask her questions, uh, she felt violated by their curiosity to try to find Vinny. And Vinny's family was just beside themselves. And his friends, Vinny was well loved. He had friends dating back to elementary school. He's in his 30s now and still has consistent friendships with people way back then. And he was a fun guy to be around. He used to do these crazy, crazy dance moves that made, made him very popular because you'd just be rolling over laughing while he's dancing around and acting crazy. And Vinny really wanted to make people laugh, to make them happy, to make them smile. And now no one was smiling because Vinny was missing. They went down to the banks and helped police and others search for him and search for him for the longest time. And it was more than a month before they finally found his body. And oddly, it had drifted down the river to where West Point, the West Point uh, Military Academy area. And it was at that point that someone saw his body floating and immediately they called for help and and got his body out. But before they found his body, Angelina's behavior was rather odd. She walked the detectives around the island and, and told them things about how much she wished he were dead, and how glad she was. she felt free, actually free, now that Vinnie was gone. And when she was brought in for questioning, it was, "Well, I wanted him to be gone, but uh, maybe not like this, but I wanted him gone." A lot of what she said I mean, she told them that she removed the plug from his kayak. She told them that she pulled away his paddle. She then started telling these stories which don't seem to fit the context of Vinnie's life. Uh, Stories about he would force me to have sex, he would uh, want threesomes, and a lot of these things were things that she had talked to other people about before she ever met Vinnie. So it didn't seem like to fit Vinny, And also the fact that she was the extremely sexually active. She always had to have a man in her life. And she demanded that her men meet her sexual needs. And so she seemed to be the one more driven by a sex motive than he would have been.
0: Now, was there, um, I think there's another account in the book, too, it must have come from a friend, because uh, she wouldn't admit this, it's not keeping with her, her um, narrative, that that she struck him or someone witnessed her striking him?
1: Yes, yes, and it didn't happen just once. It happened a number of times from Vinnie while he was still alive, we told other people about her hitting them. But then he never hit her back. Never. That's not how his mother raised him. You know, he was raised not to hit women and he didn't do it. Um, but Angelica apparently had no problem with hitting him.
0: And the, uh, you, you you glazed over or you went, past it, we'll go back to it. It's part of, you know, the forensics, if you will. The, and I'm not a kayaker. But as you state in your book, Angelica admitted to the police that she had removed the plug from Vinny's kayak, but explained that she did it because the cat had been chewing on it. And so she pulled it out and stored it in a drawer, but somehow forgot to stick it back in before the pair set out for the river. I'm just guessing that a plugless kayak is not very seaworthy in rough waters.
1: When there are a lot of waves, the waves can cascade over. Now, there was a a crime show that had a private guy who tried to sink a kayak without the plug in it. And he said, well, it can't be done. But the state police did it. They took a kayak and they showed with big wave action, yes, enough water could come into that kayak. It would shift the weight balance. Um, And even if it did not cause that kayak to go over or fill up, even if, if your fiance, someone you love is out there in a kayak and goes into the water and is about to die, what would you do? I know it might be stupid, but I'd probably find some way to try to rescue him. And if I couldn't rescue him, then I might die myself trying. But I'm not just going to sit there and watch him die. I'm just not going to do that.
0: So now she's having various, let's go through, she's having various discussions with the police. And like you say, you know, odd behavior. I believe there might be some Facebook Posts or dancing or something, and so over time, the police and at this point, I guess they're doing some interviewing, or whatever. They haven't done the Miranda yet, but it's very clear they're they're interviewing her and she's freely giving without a, a, a lawyer. So, sort of take us through those steps of the interviews uh, with the with the various police departments or department.
1: Well, she was first interviewed um, out. It was a very preliminary interview by the police that really wasn't in-depth at all. The first in-depth interview was out on Bannerman Island. And she uh, walked around with with three detectives for a while, and then just one detective. And she was basically um, giving the impression she was pouring out her heart. And she was talking about how she that Vinnie didn't treat her well and that um, she really wanted her way out. She wanted to be free. Uh, and it was very jarring. They hadn't read her in Miranda Rights. They weren't in a police room. But by the time she got saying, done saying what she said about being so happy to be free, and to being glad that he was gone, and to removing the plug from the kayak, and to removing the paddle out of Vinnie's reach, they had a good reason to take her in for serious questioning. And so they got on a boat, and um, the boat started back, and then the engine failed. So while they're fixing it, she's standing there with another police officer, and she says, what if this boat sinks too? And the officer said, well, I hope not, because I can't swim. And she said, oh, that's okay. I'll rescue you. Well, if she's going to rescue that police officer, why didn't she rescue Vinnie? It's, it's very bizarre. And she went back going, free, free, I'm free, hands up in the air, celebrating on the boat. And she gets back and she goes through the scene, hours and hours of questioning. And she won't repeat the line about moving the paddle, but she does repeat the thing about pulling out the plug and uh, doesn't deny that. And, and talks about how glad she is to be free. And it just doesn't add up. and doesn't make any sense. And, and, and the police are looking at things like her Facebook page where the, she posted herself doing a cartwheel. And she's just lost the man she was engaged to marry. And Vinny's family's no- noticing her bizarre behavior too. When she came over to the house uh, for a family dinner, she's sitting out on a lounge chair, smoking a cigar, acting like everything's right in the world. It was it was making them crazy. And they finally called the police about it, said she's not acting normally, period. And the police knew this because she hadn't been acting normally around them. When she was left alone in the interrogation room, she was um, rearranging things on, on, on the table. She was doing yoga poses. She was playing hopscotch. I, she looked so unconcerned. Not only was she not grieving, but she had no sense of anxiety about what was going to happen to her after this interview. And I think looking at it, it was very clear. She thought she was going to get away with this. And she also thought she was going to get a big life insurance check out of it. And that was going to set her up well. I don't believe that Angelica really liked men. I think she needed men. I think she used men and she had to have one after another, after another. And if they didn't give her what she wanted, when she wanted and how she wanted, she was out trolling for another man. That was just the way she'd acted for years. And Vinny was her latest victim.
0: Now, so based on interviews and, and uh, you know, uh, other investigation, they do decide to charge her. What did yes. they initially
1: charge her with? Angelica was charged with second degree murder. Um, but her attorney was screaming loud and long that it was an accident. But anybody that knew Vinny, anybody in Vinny's family found that answer. Highly suspect.
0: And so the, again, a, a big portion, I'd say of the last third of the book, which is Death on the River, available Amazon and all your local bookstores, under the Diane Fanning shelf is where I find them. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, before we even get to a trial, we're going to have a very lengthy, um, pre trial conference, if you will, to exclude uh 90% or 100% of all her interviews videotaped and 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 or and or reported by police before they were even considering her a suspect. Uh, so the defense attorney is uh. Uh, advocating for that to be thrown out, and it's very intricate. It's very interesting, calling witnesses um, as to you know, again, to to uh, say that this should not be allowed and whatnot. And this goes on for a while. Again, Vinnie's family has to sit. It's not even a trial, though it's like a trial. No jury, just a judge, and it's going through. Uh, so a lot of the evidence, obviously, that that would be used at a trial, is being shown. To, uh, to the public, whatnot. And um, so uh, tell us a little, just a little bit about uh, capsize that uh, hearing or that uh, length of.
1: One of the big points that was made by the defense in those hearings was that there was a language barrier and a cultural barrier. And granted, there was a bit of a cultural barrier. But from the moment Angelica came over to the United States as a nanny, she busied herself Americanizing herself as best she could. <clears throat> she was a football fan, for heaven's sakes. How, how American is that? And she uh, really spoke very good English. She had an accent, certainly, but it wasn't like she was faltering for words. I mean, she uh, interacted with people very, very well. He's saying she doesn't understand the language. So the Miranda warning was meaningless to her because it wasn't translated for her. But this is a woman who went to community college and majored in English. I mean, come on. She had an excellent grasp of the language. And she knew what the words she was saying meant. And she knew the words she was hearing, what they meant as well. She was far more equipped to function in this foreign country by this time in her life than many people who have been in this country even longer because she knew the language so well. And when you know the language, you can get around, you can find things out. Heck, she even worked in the research department at um, the FDR library north of Poughkeepsie. So she was not a novice at the English language, but that's what her lawyer was saying. And that was one of his chief points to try to get it thrown out. Of course, the initial interview where there was no Miranda, well, that what became a bigger issue uh, because maybe they should have. But at that point in time, she was treating a police detective as a confidant and it was an informal setting, and they didn't have equipment to record the audio or the video. And it was more her answering them and giving them extraneous information than it was an interrogation of any kind. So uh, that was, what was that issue? And her one in, in, in police custody, was clearly she was given her Miranda rights, but things started to look kind of iffy for the police. And the judge was not letting everything in. And that really did damage their case.
0: And as, again, near the end of it, you read that he was they again, they I'm sure that the, def, uh, the uh, prosecutor felt uh, some things might be, but he could throw out the whole case because poison fruit, you know, f- uh, of the poison tree, whatever. But so they I guess there was uh, either an over the weekend or something where it was the decision was supposed to come down and then it was postponed for a period of time. So everybody's doing this knee jerk stuff back and forth. And finally, they're called into the courtroom. And um, again, I'm not a legal mind, but it it looked like enough was going to be left in that that it would make sense to go to a trial for the prosecution.
1: It it looked like. It would make sense that it would go to trial. But still, you never know with a jury. And um, Angelica if she had taken the stand, I think she would have been a very good witness that could sway the jury. And I'm sure the prosecutors had that on her mind. She had a little elfin face and um, a bubbly personality. And she was a real threat in any case. You never know what a jury will do.
0: So, so again, you know, cut your losses, the prosecution, in consultation with the family, they make a decision.
1: They decide to offer her a plea bargain. Um, with the hopes that by doing so, they would prevent her from making money off the death of Vinnie via four. Um And so they did... Uh, reach a plea agreement. But when her uh, sentence was handed down, it didn't sound like nothing, but in effect it was, because she got she got credit for all the time she'd served. And when it was done, there, there wasn't much time left at all, only a couple of months. And, and that did not feel like justice
0: and the new york post made their feelings about the plea deal clear in a headline the next day that read quote, "a light paddling after guilty plea" unquote.
1: yes the post is very good at those headlines
0: so um so she yes she she had time served it was it was knocked down to criminally negligent homicide And um, so I I guess, again, technically, she should have tried to do something more, blah, blah, blah. uh, And maybe the plug involved. But uh, whatever, it doesn't even if you went to trial with that, would she have been convicted? Maybe not. But maybe
1: not. And plus, they didn't have the fact that she pulled the paddle away. And that was the thing that was in the island interview, but not in the police station interview. And that was extremely pivotal.
0: Right. So she does like 42 days or something, which would all left of the two month, two years or one year, whatever the sentence was, and um, that she agreed upon. So she comes out and it is kind of uh, sad that some, again, I think it was done again by agreement that we hoped she couldn't, you know, profit, quote unquote, profit from crime. But she did end up sharing the life insurance with the family. Did she not?
1: Yes, she did. Yes, she did. and um. It, it wasn't as big a share as she thought she would get, but she still got money. I I was kind of amazed that she wasn't deported. I I thought, uh, you know, she's not, she wasn't a U.S. citizen, and I, I'm just shocked that they didn't deport her. And, you know, you look at it and you go, oh, okay, she's white. I mean, th- that's horrible, but, you know, a lot of times it seems to to go down to color whether you get deported or not.
0: Now, how did you, I, I, I didn't even ask at the top of this, how did you come to the case? Were you involved with watching it as it unfolded or, or
1: covering afterwards? Um, I came to the case when my publisher said, you have to do this book, please, please. So I said, okay, I'll do this book. And um, so I was up there while it was ongoing. I was up in Poughkeepsie and um talked to a lot of people there uh had communication with a lot of vinnie's friends and some of uh angelica's friends i tried very hard to talk to angelica's sister i even lined up a translator to go on a call with me but um in the end i just couldn't couldn't get her to talk to me
0: now i do want to point out to my to my listeners if you're not diane fanning fans that unlike some other um, authors, and they're good authors that I've interviewed, she does not cut and paste from Wikipedia. And, <laughs> and I say that seriously, because uh, there are some authors who will talk about another author and say, oh, well, that, you know, that book is a cut and paste. And there's nothing, it's not illegal. And you, you add your own comments or your own uh, process to it. But it's all, you know, stuff that's out there in print and from newspaper articles, whatnot. But you get down in the weeds. And at least in the ones I've done so far, and I'm guessing most of them are that way. I mean, obviously, if you're going to cover a case from 100 years ago, you can't do that. But if it's current modern uh, case that the, uh, you know, you can get interested in it and, you know, dive in while it might still be in trial or shortly thereafter, or the trial is over and appeals are going, whatever, you're you're still involved with the
1: case. Yeah, I do like to... um get my hands dirty, get in there, get as many documents as I can, talk to people. Um, And to me, what's really important in every case is not the case itself, but the people involved. So I want to know about the victim's life. I want to know about the perpetrator's life. I want to know about the town and, and the impact on the town, because every time I've done a book, and you go and look at the town where the crime is committed. There are shadows and ripples all through the community from this crime that happened, Uh, particularly if it's a small town. The smaller the town, the bigger the ripples. But it really does impact many, many people, people who knew one or the other parties um, and people who just knew the area. They would relate to it. Uh, People who just uh, kayaked on the Hudson River uh, understood what could have happened there. And uh, there were a lot of people who knew Vinnie who were very angry and a lot of people who knew kayaking that were outraged.
0: And the sultry femme fatale got on with her life including an interview in Elle magazine where she posed for a photo underwater in a bathtub, smiling up at the camera. Who thought that was a good idea? That shot, by the way, is the graphic for this podcast. Well, Diane, you and I are going to stay together and talk about another book you wrote and how it helped reopen a case and get an innocent woman released from prison and declared innocent, not just not guilty. And to my audience, please look for Through the Window coming up in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone.